Hello and welcome to another edition of the Scarlet Nation podcast. I'm Bobby Duran here for ScarletNation.com of the 24-7 Sports Network. Busy time in Rutgers athletics, Rutgers football in particular. Training camp is underway. Um, we're going to be talking about what to expect, what's going on, the season ahead. A lot to talk about as training camp is now in full swing. To help me sort out this, uh, all that's going on on the gridiron, I have my man Chris Sakonis here with us. Chris, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Bobby. Always great to be on our podcast with you. Okay, yeah, and you know, we've been out to practice a um, couple times, uh, you know, and it, it will continue. Practice is, is not even a week old yet, but, um, you know, it's it's a veteran team. Chris coming back, uh, you know, there's a lot more expectations this year because you have a lot of guys with experience. You have a pretty good defense to turn to. Offense, still a question mark, but there's a lot of promise. But, you know, Chris, you're going into camp with a, a proven starter, and it feels like, well, I, I shouldn't say proven starter. They they have a bona fide starter. Gavin Wimsett still needs to to do some stuff to prove himself, but you know, they have a starter in place and it's something different. It seems like every summer we're just talking about a quarterback competition. And uh, I I think Chris will really see benefits of Greg Schiano going with Gavin so early uh, and it could help his development, you know, working in that role and having that role and not have to look over his shoulder through the entire summer. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I think, the noteworthy thing that came out of Big Ten Media Days when they announced it was that Gavin was going to be the starter uh, and that they had already named him. Uh, so now you've got if you're Gavin Wimsett, you've got a full training camp where it's your offense, basically. And yes, you still have to work on things. You still have to you know, sort of get a feel uh, for how things are going to be, in particular with a couple new pass catchers in the room. And we'll obviously touch on that a little bit as well. Um, but the potential is there for sure uh, for him to really make this offense his own. Uh, and uh, for the offense as a whole to really take that next step. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see, and I think uh, that's that's really what I'm I'm looking for as the season gets started. And, you know, a whole new uh, – not a whole new coaching staff, but you have some new faces there. Um, Kirk Soraka, Dave Brock in particular, two fiery guys, as we see from watching, you know, um, they, they're really hands-on. They're, they're really demanding I think they'll benefit from them. And you mentioned, um, you know, a couple transfer or a couple targets uh, in Jaquay Jackson and Nassim Brantley, two transfers. Um, also tight end Sean Bowman, uh, another transfer. I, I think they really addressed some issues this offseason. So that's three transfers, Chris, right there on the offensive side of the ball that we'll probably see, you know, being a big part of the offense. You know, Jaquay Jackson coming in to, to be that number one receiver. Nassim Brantley coming in to provide some help put the receiver position and Sean Bowman, you know, could emerge as the number one tight end. We don't know yet, but um, I think they did a decent job in the transfer portal considering they weren't able to go out and buy those top players, but you know, they have some quality in the defense. You have Isaiah Aiton, who is just a massive human being, um, you know, also coupled with Flip Dixon, who expects to start at safety, Eric Rogers, who will provide depth at corner along with Charles Amakwa who will also provide corner depth. So I think you got seven guys that are, that are really going to be in the mix for playing time this year and, and could impact, um, you know, the outcome of games in a way. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really the interesting thing is, um, you know, particularly to go back to the wide receiver group for a second, because I think that's where it's going to be the most pronounced. Um, you know, we didn't really know what the wide receiver room was going to look like before these transfers came in. Cause it was a very young group. A lot of, you know, there was no uh, Sean Ryan and, and others had moved on. Um, so it was kind of a new look group as we were going to spring practice. Now 
you've got a couple more transfers who I think are going to, you know, have the potential to really make an impact that also creates space for the younger guys to sort of grow at their own pace. They're not being rushed into, you know, a position they may not be ready for. Um, they can sort of develop and grow on their own pace. And I think that benefits the unit as a whole. So I think, you know, for the transfer portal as a whole, they've done a pretty good job um, getting a good amount of talent to supplement uh, what they had. Um, and on the defense, too, that Rutgers also has the benefit, uh, as you mentioned, of a lot of defensive players coming back. Um, so to be able to supplement it with some more defensive players, that's obviously a huge add. And I think Rutgers as a whole is going to benefit for that. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the receivers, a lot of young receivers, you know, and, and in some cases, in some instances, the younger guys, I think, would have played a lot more had it not been for the addition of guys like Nassim Brantley and Jaquay Jackson. Uh, you also have Chris Long coming back. You know, he was injured in the spring. He's another face that I think uh, fans might see a lot of this year. But, you know, young receivers like, you know, Dylan Brathwaite, Ian Strong, Jesse O'Fury. You know, guys who arrived in January are starting to really develop. Um, you don't have to thrust them into action so quickly and, and you can afford to take your time. But, um, you know, it, it, without those transfers, you're looking at a, a very young room that's really being thrust into action, you know, maybe ahead of their time. But I, I think they have some talent at the receiver room for the future. But like I said, you don't have to force them in there before they're ready. Yeah, not only do you not have to force them in there before they're ready, but it's also better because you have to really earn your reps. So if if one of those players you mentioned, if you do start to see them, you know, playing more and more and getting more snaps, getting more targets, that means they've really earned it uh, and that they're sort of ahead of schedule, if you will, in their development um, or on schedule or whatever the case may be. Um, but if a couple of young receivers can break through, that's going to be better for the Rutgers offense in the long run because that means that these young guys are developing, they're progressing, and and their potential is at or even possibly higher than where um, you know we we think they are. Um, so if if and when you see that, that's going to be a, a big benefit for Rutgers because these young receivers are going to have to earn their reps, and they have the opportunity to do just that. Well, and you know, Chris, a, a lot of one of the best parts about camp, one of the most intriguing parts about camp in, in all my years of covering the team is is seeing these freshmen finally on the field because you follow them, you cover them, you, you talk about them, you anticipate what they're going to look like. And boom, they're out there, you know, a lot of times wide eyed teenagers with these grown men. Um, and in some instances, like I'd mentioned, guys are forced into action a bit prematurely, but I don't think you'll see a lot of that this year because of the depth they have returning. You're not going to see the need to really play a lot of these young guys. And I think you could wind up seeing a lot more red shirts than, than you might expect. And it's not a, a denunciation of the class. It's just, you know, a testament to the depth that they have. Uh, so, you know, I know a lot of people are expecting, you know, what can we see out of these freshmen? I, I think you might see a developmental year for a lot of them the majority of them to to be more specific yeah and especially you know in certain position groups where you have you know in, in some cases it's almost the entire position group coming back with uh, some key players mm -hmm. uh you know it, it's hard for a freshman unless they're really 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 you know going above and beyond to to really earn a lot of reps and that's not as you said it's not a bad thing for them necessarily it's just the way the roster is um, on the flip side, another point I want to mention real quick is, um, you know, the trend of enrolling early. It's more and more common these days. Rutgers uh, has had a lot, I think, off the top of my head, a little over half of this class uh, enrolled early. Um, and then, you know, the rest obviously came in mm -hmm. now in the summer. But 
and a lot of the 2024 guys are planning on enrolling early as we've covered and reported on here. Um, but that's another benefit too, because in this case, you've got, you know, extra months of, you know, spring football, strength and conditioning, all that stuff. And then you potentially have a year where you can sort of sit and learn behind, you know, veterans who in some cases are really, really making a name for themselves in the big 10, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that's like a double whammy. Cause then you've got more, uh, more time to develop, more time to grow, more time to see how it's done from experienced veterans that can play and succeed at this level. Um, that's going to make them a lot better football players in the long run. And Greg Shano talks about being a developmental program. It's one of the things that he really emphasizes when he talks about this team. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what he means. It's about building that pipeline. And now you're starting to see that pipeline filled. And when you're at a point where you don't have to start a talented freshman right away, because you've got a veteran who can, you know, has more experience and is talented and able to get it done. That's a sign that you're now moving into the next stage of the rebuild where you've got that pipeline and it's consistent and it's flowing. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's going to be good for Rutgers in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times people want to know which freshmen might likely play. And it's not so much which is the most talented. Uh, You have to look at which position group is is prime for a freshman to go in and play early. A guy like Abram Wright at linebacker, you haven't heard much from. But he's in a linebacker group where they usually only start two guys. And, you know, you have your two top tacklers returning in Tyreen Powell and Deion Jennings. Then you have Moses Walker and Mo Torre back from knee injuries who are healthy, which both should should have big years as well. And then you have a guy like Jameer Wright Collins, who is in his fourth year, you know, transitioned to linebacker last year playing well. So you're talking about five guys. This true freshman would have to hurdle in a system that regularly runs two linebackers at the position. So a guy like Abram Wright has a lot of potential, a lot of promise, showed a few flashes in the spring, um, but he's got to leapfrog a lot of guys towards playing time. So, um, you know, in, in those situations, it's good that he can kind of bide his time. You know, another linebacker is Dario Dijaboom. Uh, I, 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 forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the Canadian. My, my French isn't real good. Um, but Canadian linebacker came in last year, played all 12 games on special teams, but he played more as though more so because there was a need at the position. You know, they didn't have the depth. Motore and Moses Walker were hurt last year. They had to move Jameer Wright Collins over. So last year is a season where a guy like Dario could go in and, and play early, you know, and get some valuable reps. But that situation isn't quite there now. We also have to look at the fact that there is an inevitability that there's going to be some injuries. Some guys are just going to get banged up. It's the nature of the game. So freshmen could go in there and 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 maybe see some playing time according to what's position. But, um, you know, even wide receiver now is getting a little more stacked. But you look at cornerback, a guy like Bo Musco, who was in there in, in the spring, uh, he had a decent spring and, you know, got some reps and he's a guy that could get some, get some reps, you know, in, in the season. But um, all in all, I think, you know, we're going to have to, you know, put a little delay button on the freshman on the field. Yeah. And, you know, as we've said on this podcast, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If anything, that's a good sign for Rutgers uh, because it shows that that talent pipeline is starting to get filled. Um, and mm-hmm. particularly on the defensive side, I think, I think the defense as a whole, um, you know, if, if the cards fall the right way, that, that things are certainly lining up for them to potentially have a really good year. Um, so right. I, I, I'm very excited just as a journalist to see how that side of the ball pans out. And, you know, all three levels, they're returning a lot of guys in it. The cornerback position, you know, Max Melton and Robert Longerbeam could have really strong seasons. I think those two guys are guys 
that to really keep an eye on this year. I, you know, Max is still waiting for him to take that step to become an elite cornerback. And uh, this could be the year he does it. Robert Longerbeam comes back. I think he's going to be really strong. Um, you know, those are the two guys to really keep an eye on. And then you have Eric Rogers coming in as a transfer who has a really good overall skill set. So I, I think that's a position of strength. And, and uh, yeah, across the board, it, it, it really, you know, it looks like a strong defense. And you know what else, Chris, what I've noticed, um, you know, just in, in the days we've been able to cover the practices since training camp started is this is a bigger looking team. It looks more like a Big Ten team. Like, you know, when Curtis Dunlop came over yesterday, this was a massive human being walking towards us. And you could see him on the field. He's bigger. But when you're up next to him, you go, oh, my goodness. You know, what are you eating? You know, it's it's um, it, it just looks and feels more uh, closer to that Big Ten, you know, lineup that you see across the board in these other schools who were, you know, a good year after year. Yeah, and that's that's another thing, you know, and that sort of goes back to the point about being a what Greg Schnell calls a developmental program is mm-hmm. um, that's another thing that, you know, you don't go from being a good high school prospect to being a good college football player in terms of strength and conditioning in one year or even in two years necessarily, particularly as you mentioned, you know, with linemen, um, those are the groups that sort of take the longest to develop both physically and just in terms of play on the field. Um, so now as you're entering the 2023 season, that's year four of Greg Shiano, that's when you're going to start to see that paying dividends and you're seeing it now. And there's been continuity with the strength and conditioning staff as well. So that's obviously a big plus guys have been in the same mm-hmm. system. Now, if you're a junior, pretty much the entire career, you, you've had the same plan, same everything. Um, and, and that kind of stuff builds on itself and it, it just sort of compounds. Um, so I think that's another benefit for Rutgers as well. Yeah, and, and definitely you can see the kind of the evolution. And when he took over, he said it's not going to be an overnight rebuild. But um, I, I think on opening day, you'll see, a, a, you know, you'll, you'll look at this team and say, well, I look like a Big Ten team there. Now, how they execute, I, I don't know yet. But, um, I you know, everything that's going on with Northwestern, you, you have to believe that that Rutgers is going to is going to win that game. I mean, you know, they're coming back all they bring back and and what they have going for them and and Northwest. I mean, we, we're not even going to begin to talk about what kind of shambles that program is in. So um, that should be a win, Chris, in the, on the opener. Yeah. And that's going to really I think that's going to be one of I mean, they're all must win games in a way if you're trying to make a bowl game mm-hmm. because you know, you're getting six wins against a Big Ten East schedule is always difficult. Um, it's just, you know, you're in arguably the toughest division in college football. So it's, you know, you have to take advantage of every opportunity. But that game in particular, and we've talked about it on this podcast and, you know, on the boards before, but it's just a totally different, um, it's a totally different dynamic, unfortunately, because of what happened uh, at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And and that's still very much ongoing in terms of the fallout, the ramification for the players within the team and everything. Um, so that cloud isn't going anywhere and also just put that aside for a second this is also a big 10 team Let, let's face it has won four games in the last two years um mm-hmm. rutgers are at home it's a home opener you know, weather i mean i can't project the specifics but i'd have to imagine the weather would be pretty good early september you're not dealing with you know snow or freezing cold or, or any of that mm-hmm. um and it's the start of a stretch where you know you're playing most of your games in september at home so if you set that off on the right foot and you get a win against Northwestern, a Big Ten team, you know, that's something that can sort of build on itself. And you could potentially see yourself winning a few games in a row to start the season. And then suddenly you look at the rest of the Big Ten slate. And you say, hey, we've got good momentum going. We're in more of a rhythm. 
we only need to get a couple more wins to get to that six win level for bowl eligibility. Suddenly, Mm -hmm. you know, the mindset changes. But if you start the season on the wrong foot, then it becomes more of an uphill battle. So I agree that game is going to be pivotal. Um, And I think, you know, even more than it already was, it's going to be an early bellwether for how this Scarlet Knight season is going to fare. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of season and scheduling, things are going to be drastically different now with all this realignment. Um, You know, you have Washington and Oregon coming on board in in the Big Ten and along with USC and UCLA. So um, it's going to be a whole different dynamic. And if they go to a 10-team schedule, Chris, they're going to have to ramp up these games. I mean, the schedule, even though they'll go away with the divisions, it's still going to be a tough slate. So, um you know, it's exciting for the future, though. I mean, I mean, you know, with the realignment and bringing these new teams in, I mean, a road trip to Oregon is something um, I don't think many Rutgers fans would have envisioned years ago. So uh, um, it, it looks like an exciting future in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's an exciting future. I mean, a 10 game schedule. I, I'm I'm very curious to see what they do now, because it looked like they had finally figured out a system with UCLA and USC coming in. You know, it was the uh, where you had in, in Rutgers case one protected rival in Maryland and then everyone else was you play them twice every four years. And the 2024 mm-hmm. schedule, as we were talking about at the time, was really, really difficult based on how the programs in question are now. They were playing the entire Big Ten East and then swapping out Indiana for UCLA. Um, so now that goes out the window. I don't know how different the formatting is going to be. Um I, I got to be honest, I, I took Calc at Rutgers. It was not my easiest class. So I'm not even going to try and <laughs> estimate what the mm-hmm. mathematical setup is going to be. So you're all going to have to forgive me for that. Um, but whatever system it is, you know, yes, you're adding two more good football schools in Washington and Oregon. But at the same time, more schools means you're not going to be playing as many teams as often. So it could end up working out in Rutgers' favor in the sense that you might not be playing an Ohio State or a Michigan every year, uh, and you yes. might get an extra game or two against you know a team from now, I'll call it the old Big Ten West, because it's really the middle of the conference now, um, mm-hmm. and those more quote-unquote, I don't want to say winnable because any game could be winnable, but you know games that are a little bit easier on the strength of schedule and you know sort of make right. the load a bit more manageable for Rutgers. So. Um, it's still very murky. I want to hold judgment fully until I see what the final, final schedule format looks like. Uh, but there mm-hmm. is a chance, particularly with that 24 schedule being what it was, that it could, in the short term at least, work out better for Rutgers. And that doesn't even get into the whole conference realignment, stability, uh, payouts, and all that stuff, where you know Rutgers is obviously in a great position being in the Big Ten as opposed to, say, you know, another conference like now the former Pac-12 or even the ACC where there's some discontent with some of the top schools. So, um, yeah, it's a crazy time in realignment. I'm still not exactly sure how this is going to pan out. Don't ask me for a schedule production because I have no confidence <laughs> in my ability to get that right. And, yeah, that's my two cents on realignment. Pac-12, I think, is the Pac-4 now. <laughs> the Pac-4, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they play each other three times? I don't know. But no, uh, Basketball, they do it six <laughs> times. 18-team schedule, right? There you go. Something there you effect. go. So no, the net will love know, that. They'll know their opponents well, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that whole uh, conference realignment. I think we have to tackle that in an entire another podcast because there's so much to talk about, so many implications, so many possibilities, so many unknowns. But um, but uh, as for now, we're gonna wrap this one up. Chris, thanks for joining us, and thank you for listening. Uh, you can interact with myself or Chris on the ScarletNation.com message boards. Uh, on a 
and 24-7 Sports Network. Come on board. We're there all day, every day. We have nonstop, relentless Rutgers coverage, Rutgers talk, Rutgers everything. So uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, for Chris Sikonis, I'm Bobby Darren. We'll talk to you soon.